What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode 55 of the Fuel for Football podcast. I'm your host, Sanchez Bailey. Um, apologies on the delay. I have been, oh gosh, um, no excuse, but I've been to official, to the other official, in order to try and um, resolve my situation to return back to Dubai. But it seems to be good news, so we'll wait until I get there. But uh, it's good to be back. Football hasn't really, well, the Premier League at least anyway. Um, it's been good to see, you know, the other leagues still in action. And when I shout out actually, Jacob Brown, haven't spoken to myself actually, but I know he listens to the podcast sometimes. Um, he's been on fire and it's been good to see. I, if, if I haven't watched anything, it would have been hard to not notice that. And so, you know, he's making up some noise in the, in the for Stoke, which is great. I think this is his first full season as well. So, you know, um, he's a player who's an alumni to the podcast, but he's a player who, you know, um, was released. You, you've seen his or heard his story if you check the episode. I think it was like episode 14, 15. Um, and he played in League One, you know, made, made a name for himself here. Or there, should I say, or League Two, should I say. I think got promoted to League One. Long story short, he's in the championship now, and he's making noise now. And you know, his goal was to to make it to the Premier League. And you know, you're making noise in the the championship like this, make a name for yourself potentially with playoffs. I know Stoke just missed out on playoffs last season. Um, I think from my memory, it could be really good, and and that's a story in itself. You know, um, who else have we spoken to? We spoken to Brendan Kiernan, who. Uh, was out of the game for a while, you know, made himself um, almost forced his way back into the football league and he's doing pretty well with his club now. So, you know, I just want to put push this out as an encouraging message, you know, especially with clubs now with fees and finances being a little bit tougher on some of them. It means that they have to now pay a lot more attention to homegrown talent. It means now that there's an opportunity and gaps will be filled out because there there will probably be less foreign imports. So take that as a bit of a encouraging factor and, you know, wherever you are in your season, use that as an opportunity to push yourself, excuse me, that extra bit harder, you know, to to realign your, your goals. And yes, I say it so frequently, but as frequently as I say it, it's as frequently as it should be done, you know. So please don't see it as monotonous, um, but more so... It needs to be that routine. It needs to be that regular. So I want to push that out there. That you're you're not, you're still pushing yourselves. You're still communicating and sharing the goods, uh, the great and the challenges. You know you're reflecting as as I've mentioned before. You're communicating with your coach, especially if you're not getting the game time and you know working on that sub sub max mentality. You're mentally preparing yourself for a game. You're putting yourself in the situation. You're enhancing all your your senses. You know, you are studying your opponents, goalkeepers, studying your, your penalty takers, studying the, the technique and the, the type of uh, set pieces that will be taken. Players, your opposition, the people that you will be. I remember watching uh, a clip from Kobe. And Kobe's Kobe, right? So <laughs> I've recently seen like, pundits and people criticising the other NBA players there's a funny clip of um, Stephen A. Smith and 
well, it's not funny actually, but on, on the anniversary of Kobe's passing, he there's a video, I think it was made up by someone, but his voice obviously is not made up. So it's an audio expression of Stephen A. And he was like saying, you know, you're not Kobe. Kobe broke his hand, for instance, as an example, um, and still continued to play. He refused to come off. And you guys will uh, come off the pitch or like not play because you feel unwell or you're tired. You're not Kobe. And he was challenging them. And to add to that, I watched a clip of, oh, I need to find it so I can post it on, the in, on Instagram or social media. It was Kobe mentioning oh, the most toughest player he's played against. And he said it was KD, Kevin Durant. And the reason why he said it was the hardest opponent, because he said he would study his opponents and he would know and understand the, the routine and the, the playing style of them. And he noticed with Kevin Durant, he was very easy to defend at one point when he first came into the game because he couldn't dribble and shoot on his left hand, right? Obviously, compare that to our game. You put someone on their left foot who's strongly right-footed or vice versa, they might have a tough time. Right, so he used to guard and um, force KD to use his left hand. Um, and he said that as seasons went on and timers went on, KD improved his game and he was becoming unstoppable on his left hand too. So it meant that you don't, no matter what side you put him on, he'll be successful. And I'll take it back to when I used to play. Uh, gosh, Drew. Drew Spencer. Or Drew Spence, sorry. Chelsea ladies, uh, legend. She, we used to play in the same, uh, in like, five-a-side crew, essentially. Uh, I don't think she rated me that much, to be honest with you. But I was always someone, maybe some of the fellas would contest, that when I would be on my right foot, defenders would put me on my left. And I was pretty decent on my left. And it was almost like a secret of mine. Like, cool, put me on my left. And then I'll show you what I can do. And so, KD, obviously, a thousand times better than I, I was um, at my state. But he was becoming an unstoppable player. And K, uh, Kobe said that I actually retired not being able to figure him out. So he has to be the toughest player that I play. And then, yes, you can use that clip to focus and um, magnify the skill set of, of KD. But I... I obviously look into things a little bit different sometimes. But what I looked into that was that how often and how regular and how detailed and thorough he would study his opponents. It was extremely thorough. You know, he studied the biomechanic and of, of players and the movement and the handling of players. And so he would then adjust his game to the state and the... Uh, ability of his opponents and I think that's a, there's a powerful message here that we can take in from this today it's crazy how we just got to this stage because this was always the plan of my episode but it's interesting of how, how we got here but how are we I don't ever want to let me add another sport furthermore and I know more than anybody I've, I've been involved in all three sports um, to a really significant level and I know that basketball, football and boxing are pretty much incomparable. However, there are fundamentals that will exist in sport in general, right? 
whether it's a team sport or individual sport. And an ability to adjust your game, flexibility, and maybe some would call it IQ, maybe in boxing and basketball, boxing IQ, basketball IQ, being able to read the game and know your opponent. Um, and I think that's being lost in all sports, you know. I think massively in boxing as well. And I believe a bit in football. I think it's, in, it's becoming to be <coughs> fixed a little bit. But let's just say, let me just give you a quick example of football, like where a team would play out from the back and it'd be the worst thing that you could do because a team that is really great at pressing and you would see sometimes a team just continuing, continuously playing from the back because they want to get used to it. Great. But then also, like... There needs to be an adjustment made, especially if a team is great at pressing, right? Because then you can use um, the alternative to negate their strength in being high pressers by getting a ball up. And so you're starting to slowly see now when a team plays out for the back and it's not working, then actually launching it out and having uh, an alternative method. That's just a small microscopic example. Um, I watched and I really studied. I was really, I've been in the boxing mode of late, especially because boxing is very... Uh, prevalent in this month now now that it's returning so Chris Eubank and Liam Williams was it a great fight it, it was a great build up it was an interesting fight very insightful and actually something that I predicted now during the gloves are off which I really enjoy watching because you're able to get inside I'm able to kind of get inside their mind and study and give me a little bit of context to um, to add to the lack of my presence. I'm not in the training camp, so you know, watching press conferences, interviews, and collating that information together gives me a great idea of where the headspace is at. And one of the things that was repeated by, by uh, Chris Eubank Jr. was that he has plan A and he you know, kept going to D. Whatever he brings to the table, well, I've got it covered. After the fight, no, he, he won convincingly, but after the fight, he said, I knew he was going to come at me during the fight. Or I expected him to come at me. I expected him to play dirty, to fight dirty, should I say. Right? So I did this. I did this to negate this. And he, he kind of shifted at some point, but then I did this to negate for that. And I prepared for this, you know? And that was beautiful because... Not only did he have his solid A plan, but he also had the contingency plan when things don't go that exact way. Now, I also studied the penalty shootouts between United and, gosh, the other team that they faced. Was it Wolves? Was it Wolves? I think it was Wolves. I think so. I don't remember a Wolves player. No. It was, but it was, um, it was, I can't remember now. It was a smaller team. Anyway, they lost the shootout. But even just use the example of Salah and, and um, Mane in the final, where Mo told the keeper where to go, he saved it. And, you know, you have your go-to spot as a penalty taker. But then, especially in that context, maybe Mane actually changed and then the keeper went that way, right? Keep, maybe what Salah said didn't even help, but it might have just entered into Mane's mind now, right? That, damn, I might have to change my spot because Salah knows me. I told him all my secrets. But perhaps if he'd done something out of the ordinary, 
hypothetically speaking, I had a contingency plan, maybe that result might have changed, but then they won the cup anyway. My point and my messaging to you guys is, yes, I'm hoping that if you've been following the episodes that you're preparing yourself mentally for, for com- competition. But most importantly, are you setting yourself a contingency plan? Are you going and preparing yourself for an opponent and preparing for them to maybe produce an opposite type of performance than you expect? And then you've almost prepared, not completely, but you've made reference to what your game and how your game will be adjusted according to the changes of the opposition. This can be something individual. This can also be something tactical and uh, uh, regarding the whole team. So that's something that I would I would really want to push out there as a message in terms of preparing yourself for, you know, the the, the opponents and having a contingency uh, level of preparation for if things do not go exactly to plan. And that's my message for today. And hopefully next time I see you, will be in a bit of sun. <laughs> All the best, guys. And I'm appreciating the messages and hearing how you guys are getting on. Hopefully speak soon. Um, or look forward to hearing from you. All the best. Nice one.